Welcome to Inspirational Australians, where we share stories of Australians making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. We at Inspirational Australians acknowledge the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waterways on which this podcast is produced. We pay our respect to elders past and present and those who are emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. At Inspirational Australians, we are inspired by the world's oldest living culture and pay homage to their rich storytelling history when we share stories on our podcast. Thank you, Annette. It's great to be back doing the Inspirational Australians podcast and to kick things off for 2023, we're featuring some amazing winners from our Seven News Young Achiever Awards and uh, specifically wanting to shout out to Spirit Super, who's sponsoring this episode. Uh, and they had a great initiative to feature all the winners uh, from the Young Achiever Awards and Spirit Super are a national partner. So it will be fantastic to look at the various winners from right around Australia and find out what they're doing a little bit more. So as I said, this episode is brought to you by Spirit Super, the super fund for hardworking Australians. Apart from being one of Australia's easiest super funds to deal with, Spirit Super is also the proud sponsor of the Young Australian Achiever Awards right across the nation. That's because as a super fund, Spirit Super knows the importance of investing in your future. More importantly, they're committed to using your hard-earned super savings to invest in initiatives that build a brighter future for us all. Whether it's celebrating our community champions or supporting local businesses, technology and innovation, Spirit Super is helping make a real difference. So if you're looking for a super fund that's invested in you and your future, it all starts with Spirit. For more info, go to spiritsuper.com.au. Consider the PDS and TMD at spiritsuper.com.au slash PDS before making a decision. Issuer is Motor Trades Association of Australia Superannuation Fund PDT, PDYLTD. Advice is provided by Quadrant First PDYLTD. Quite the little disclaimer there, but I must say Spirit Super are excellent at always providing those little details and kind of flagging with us, you know, there's a few things they have to do as a super fund. But as I said, back to today's episode, I'm uh, here with a guest who's really done a lot to be here because she's uh, skipped lunch, she's left work early, and so I'm really appreciative to Nika Zand who's joining us. And before I throw to her, I'll quickly uh, say a few words about Nika. So Nika advocates for increasing well-being spaces and after speaking with people at risk nika initiated and led right by you a youth peer-to-peer suicide prevention website to help young people develop the skills and confidence to respond and help a friend in need nika developed the aftercare supports following a suicide attempt booklet she also led the cultural conversations forum last year in 2022 so tell us a lot more about all of that wonderful stuff welcome nika hello <laughs> How's that lunch going? Um, no, yes, it is really good. Thank you so much for talking a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> what have you made today? Um, I have made a selection of dumplings and um, some potatoes and, as I was saying, everything I could find in my pantry. So it's actually much better than I planned. So it's a good, it's a good afternoon. <laughs> nice. One. Well, thanks for making time in your day today. So you, you said you had to leave, you know, rush out of work. Um, so what is it that you do uh, for your employment? 
Yes, so I work as a suicide prevention coordinator and that's in the Mental Health Commission's suicide prevention framework um, in which there's suicide prevention coordinators all across WA. So I look over the Perth Metro East and my team, which is back in the office, um, looks over North Metro and South Metro and our role is to increase communities' capacity to respond to suicide. Um, and so some of those projects that you mentioned were actually... Um, thankfully a part of the work that I do in making sure that I can find out what community needs are and actually respond to a way that community know works best for themselves. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like it could be quite intense work at times. Yeah, yeah, it can be. I think the first thing anyone says as soon as they find out the title Suicide Prevention Coordinator is, oh, that sounds really difficult, that, like, are you okay? Um, and normally followed by a story themselves that they have gone through or know someone has gone through. Um, but I find that the prevention work in which we're focusing on in my role, it's 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 really, it's really purpose-driven and I feel like it gives a lot of... Um, it, yeah, it's not it's not as sad as, as it sounds or heartbreaking. I mean, it's of course heartbreaking some of the stories that we come across, and but we're in the position where we're advocating to make sure that those stories that did happen don't happen again. So it's 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 more of a hopeful sort of stance to be in in the in the world of suicide. So, yeah. yeah, that's a really um, yeah interesting and very refreshing take on on that. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so. Was that something that you were always interested in? You know, have you fallen into this type of work or how, yeah, how did that start for you? Yeah, no, definitely um, when I was younger, I wasn't thinking that one day I can't wait to be a suicide prevention coordinator. Um, but for, for sure, I think when I was in high school, I, I did notice that um, something that I cared a bit too much about for a high school student was other people's mental health states. <laughs> Um, and so it was something that um, I actually had quite a few peers telling me maybe I should be a psychologist. Um, and I thought it was wild that people were getting paid for doing something that I was doing for free. So obviously not to the same level, not clinical, like, you know, you should go to a clinical specialist. But I thought that sounds like a great idea. Um, and I studied psych um, and I was doing some volunteering work on the side uh, with some refugee kids in the Perth metro area. Um, and I was just a mess. So I just realized after I was with the kids, I would just go home. I was, I can't handle this. There's so much that needs to be done on a systems level. I need to get onto that. I need to advocate for policy. I need to advocate for the things that need to happen to make sure that they're not in as distressing situations. So I kind of ended up doing a lot more volunteering in that sort of um, systemic advocacy project management um, roles that I accidentally just realized I was could get a paid job in that eventually so left psych behind um, I did do my undergrad of course in it but realized I was like there's some higher level things that I need to do before I potentially get tired enough to go back into the clean world yep well did that kind of base give you you know a really good platform though to move into this area of advocacy yeah yeah, I mean, definitely, um, and I, I do get a lot of questions um, about how I did get into this role because it, it is really rewarding and it's it's something that if you really, really care about, you, you'll do well. Um, I didn't realise, and I think a lot of people, um, young people, they, you don't realise that this sort of roles exist. Um, and I guess because I was, and I always say to, like, younger people, especially when you're at uni or TAFE or 
you're studying to do volunteering that you're passionate about. And when you're volunteering, like I, I first started volunteering at St. Vincent de Paul and would start in a committee there and then start and push for initiatives to happen. Um, and then Amnesty International as well. And I'd be like, we really actually need to have this and also push for other more initiatives to happen. And the next minute I realized, I, I mean, I didn't even realize probably for the first five years that what I was doing was project management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, and then because of that experience, even though that was all unpaid, I, I, I honestly, I even say the role that I'm doing now, I, I would have, I probably shouldn't, but I would have done it for free because it's, it's, and I thank God I'm not because I need to <laughs> pay for my dumplings. But um, no, definitely, I think when you volunteer and you realize that that is something that you do have the capacity to do and you do have the passion to do, um, for sure, I ended up um, being having enough work experience to actually then apply for a job as a project officer and my next job after that was this one so for sure volunteering is uh, one of those things obviously so many organizations rely on it and so many communities rely on their volunteers but it can be difficult to to have that a sustainable you know a role as a volunteer because they're not getting paid so any moment they might have to say well I can't do that anymore I have to you know go and sort out my finances so to have these paid roles as you said some people may not realize they exist so important to have them yeah, actually, you know, even looking back, I I'm, I don't know how much I would recommend it. You have to be super passionate about it because I would be studying and then working at an ice cream shop and then volunteering on the side, and it was, it was very exhausting. But that's something like you have to – it has to be like a hobby. You have to be super, super passionate about it. But it's definitely not for everyone, but, yeah. yeah. Did you ever have temptations to just, like, you know, throw it in and do normal young person stuff? <laughs> I mean, to me, it was socializing. I mean, you end up, um, like, a lot of the friends that I have now are people that were also overly passionate about um, social justice and um, systemic advocacy. So, you know, we'd end up, all the work that we were doing, it felt like a social gathering. It felt like we were having a good time, um, even though we also were probably doing productive things on the side um, of that time. But Definitely, I think as I got older, I could see the amount of hours I was putting in per week to volunteering definitely decreased and for a good reason. I think it's really hard um, and that's why it's good when you make friends in the area to learn from each other and notice the other one's burning out and then you realise, wait, I'm also doing that um, and looking after each other and just realising when you are doing enough and maybe you're probably doing too much and need to. And I, I always say, and I always say this to my friends, which is something I try to Uh, take on for myself as well is you can't be the best version of yourself to help others if you don't care for yourself so Mm. it's it's, it's the easiest way as much as you might want to be selfless about it you still have to care about yourself (laughs) so you said from a young age you know even in school that you were naturally caring for people and trying to you know keep an eye on their their well-being was that something that was instilled in you as a kid from your parents or where did you learn that from um I, I definitely thought it was a lot more normal um, when I was younger. Um, I was an only child, um, and I did have, of course, two parents, which were my whole world, um, and I would watch them, and they were both, like, in their in their youth days, they were both the highest fundraisers for Amnesty International, and they did a lot of advocacy themselves because of their experience, and they were standing up for human rights in Iran, and then, of course, became refugees from Iran, and then 
did a lot of advocacy out of Iran as soon as they got to England and then also in 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 England and even in Australia to this day they'll, they'll both um, advocate for yeah human rights in that way and on top of that I always knew of all the single individuals that supported both my mom and dad to make sure that they could survive that they had a roof over their head that they had the connections and the support and when they were distressed that they you know would look after them and then my parents I watched them both become that role in every little passing person that went on in their lives as well so my mom has a spare room in her house and every other year there's some other people staying there that really that have come from a refugee background they really have no connections in Perth mom gives them very very affordable rent um, that covers everything and she will drop them off everywhere she'll make sure she'll find them a job she'll connect them to the right people and pretty much free counseling as well and she'll she'll be that person but she'll never see it technically as social work yeah. <laughs> um bless her soul she'll never see understand that but she's been that role for so many people and that's what i've normalized and my grandma even when she passed away the amount of people that came to the funeral and were like oh, we used to go to her house whenever we had problems and we would talk it out with her. And they were, they were, both my mom and my grandma were very matriarchal in the way that they cared deeply for community and they knew how important just every little life that they helped, how much the ripple effect of that would then be as they were the ripple ones as well. But yeah. yeah. Well, that sounds really cool. Your family sounds quite amazing. (laughs) Never explained that like that, but that's nice. Um, so, yeah, so they're uh, Iranian political refugees, as you, you know, described it to me. Um, yeah. And so, you know, were they uh, facing danger and, and kind of, you said they went to England. So where did they and when did they, they make that journey? Yeah, so my my mum and my dad, um, they were both from Shiraz in Iran. And it was about 40 years ago that the Islamic Revolution happened. Um, when the Shah was overturned and when the regime came in power, they put a lot of rules on the community that was not what they promised would be initially. And they just started killing in the masses. Anyone that was an academic and that potentially spoke against them or um, even my mom was actually caught by the police when she was 16, I think. She was putting posters up one time and she got put in the prison. And the second time she got caught with a bit of her hair out of the scarf. Um, and she wasn't, um, yeah, because everyone, every woman in Iran had to then wear a, a, a scarf that was fully covering. Um, and so they put her in jail again the second time. But the jail that they put her in the second time was the one where people just never come out of again. Um, but one of the security guards happened to be the brother of her high school friend and was like, Nini, what are you doing here? And managed to even put his life on the line to make sure she escaped. And even my dad, his story is like the most intense long story <laughs> ever, but he honestly escaped death like six times or something. But he as well, his his brother was actually executed. Um, and then when he found that out, he did go into hiding um and yeah and then he was in hiding for six months because no one would let him out of the country and then he finally managed to escape and like I said all those single individuals that just helped him just enough was the only reason why he survived way too many times um and then yeah he managed to last minute they wanted to send him back to Iran when they caught him in Saudi Arabia and then Amnesty International organized a English um ambassador to come and last minute take him on the other plane to England 
So that was the last time that he managed to survive as well. So that was Amnesty International. And that's, of course, why they both did so much work for Amnesty International <laughs> after. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they both then, of course, yeah, managed to be, the, like, two very lucky people. Obviously, there's many stories just like theirs. Um, and it's, it's, you hear all the stories as well. Like even my uncle who obviously didn't, um, get away was, um, he, he was a study medicine. He was in the Philippines doing pro bono work, um, and was always like known to be, you know, so there for the community. And then as soon as he found out about the revolution, rushed back to Iran to help his brothers, to help the community. And then of course, um, they heard that even before they executed him, they said that they could um, let him free if he said other names and he didn't say other names. Um, so all, it's like the most beautiful people that they really they really tried to find, the people who cared the most about others um, and were so selfless um, that they really, yeah, it's very heartbreaking, some of the stories that both my parents, which were my childhood stories, <laughs> super fun. <laughs> Super fun. Yeah. Um, which is probably also... getting princesses and you know. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. Various fair, fairy tales and things like that. But uh Your parents are like the Islamic regime of Iran. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and about human rights. And yeah, I think it was actually in year nine at my high school. We all got to choose a topic to do a presentation on. And people did like um animals and like cute things, and mine was Amnesty International Human Rights. <laughs> but um yeah. That's awesome. Good on you. You would have opened a few eyes, I reckon. Maybe, hopefully. I really, I should touch base on that. <laughs> should ask if anyone remembers that. Just send um, out like a little uh, survey, you know, all these years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, do you remember that time? Was that weird? <laughs> have you done anything since for it? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's uh, quite amazing. Uh, I wasn't expecting that full, that kind of story. And, uh, yeah. yeah, unbelievable what your family's been through. And, uh, obviously, you know, you hearing those stories has um, contributed in some ways because you're doing amazing work as well. Uh, you mentioned psychology before. Um, and so I know that you got a, a scholarship um, from the Centre of Social Impact, University of WA. Uh, mm. How did that come about? And, uh, you know, I've, I've always wanted, I've never asked this someone, but I've always thought it. So I'm going to ask you, Nika. Okay. Does that then feel like a lot of pressure when you get a scholarship and you're like, oh, I have to do really well now? Yeah, it does because I guess imposter syndrome, you're like, oh, my God, am I really, like, am I really good though? Like, did, well, how are the other people in the class? Like, I better, like, are they going to be better than me and then they're going to realise they wish they gave it to them or, <laughs> I mean, not that they weren't better than me. I'm sure a lot of them were, but, like, um, no, for, for sure. I mean, um, so that actually came about, um, I, so the first job that I said I got after the volunteering was at Comwa. So Comwa was the Consumers of Mental Health WA, is a peak advocacy mental health body in WA. And um, I ran, I, I mean, I got the job for the initial first project. Um, and then um, I did two more projects after that with them. Um, and I remember when I first started, I was, I think, 24. And I also look already like a child now. So I look like a, a, a small little child that was managing projects. And I remember my colleague was like really confused at like, why they hired a child to run these projects. <laughs> and then she, I mean, she admitted to me like later, of course. Yeah, not at the time. Um, you not at the time. That's good. Just, I thought, I was just like, why does this woman hate me? Like, I feel like she was giving me like evils and everything. Um, 
And then later on, we were working really close together and we started doing some more things in partnership. And she was like to me, when you first came, I thought, why did they hire a, a child, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, but then as you went on, she obviously saw my, my raging passion. And of course, no one expects someone at 24 to have all that project management experience. And the, the projects were a success, which is why I was getting at that point to the third project. Um, and she was from a multicultural background. And I think in this space as well, especially mental health, there, especially in WA, like I think it's really different. I've noticed over East, um, there's not many people from a multicultural background that also prioritizes at the unique needs of multicultural mental health and the advocacy around that. Um, and so she actually was telling me about the, that you can do a postgrad in social impact. And I was like, what? First, I didn't know you could do project management in this space. And now I find out that that's even a choice. And she read it out to me and I was like, that's exactly what I'm passionate about. Didn't know that was a thing. Wish more people like of my age or even um, my background as well would know about it. Cause it really gives you the foundations of being able to do that higher level um, sort of systems change. And so she wrote up a scholarship application for me herself um, wow. and got the CEO to sign it. And so with both their support, I then I applied for it and then I got that. And then, yeah, thanks to her. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that was an awesome, an awesome um, uh, set that I did. I was probably, there was probably about 30 people in the class, a lot of execs, high managers, um, and, yeah, so much um, influence in the room that I learned so much from. They also said that they were confused why a child was in the class. And then they <laughs> called me a smart baby, which I wasn't sure what kind of a backhanded compliment that was. Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> I was like, I'll take it. Smart baby it is. Smart baby. <laughs> uh, well, it sounds yeah. like you're constantly surprising people, but I think hopefully soon <laughs> people won't be surprised because, uh, you know what I mean? You just keep, Maybe just keep on, keep on. Exactly. It's just... <laughs> A smart Nika. Smart mix. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got I'm going switching a little bit here, but I just make sure I don't want to forget um, to ask you because I had a question that uh, you know at the top I mentioned Spirit Super are sponsoring this episode. Yeah, so Spirit Super had sent me this question to ask you: Do you think being young helps or hinders when it comes to making change? Wow, that is timely. Hmm. In some ways, and I feel like I've also tried to take advantage of that as well, because in some ways being young and wanting to have a voice and it, it is really powerful because there's not, like I mean, there's not that many young people that will come in front of such high level um, stakeholders and tell them how it is. Um, and on top of that, something that I really push, especially with um right by you is that young people know better than anyone else what they need and what they want their future to look like they have a lot more at stake um and I think we're at a point now where older people are <laughs> realizing that as well um and also are starting to give a bit more credit to young people as a really informed um generation um that's really upcoming uh but definitely, like I was saying, it's definitely given a lot more hurdles uh, when to be taken seriously or to be let in some rooms. Like I said, even just assuming that I look like a child and also the way that you talk as well. I noticed the way that I talked was a lot more informal 
because that's what I used to, of course, with my peers. And then I go into these rooms and I think like once or twice I accidentally like let some slang out, which was really embarrassing. I you remember what it was? Oh, I can't, I can't remember. But I'm, I, th- I think it was like, honestly, it was so, no, actually it was so embarrassing. <laughs> that um, it was really embarrassing you're like but, uh, BT dubs um, that advocacy is no good that advocacy is so lame um <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh, i have noticed though that um now that i'm like on oh, 28 actually in nine days um that definitely it's been easier to get taken a bit more seriously i've noticed that my language is probably um got to a point as well now where they will also understand that what I'm saying is not just cute but actually really serious but yeah I don't know it depends it also depends on what you're trying to advocate for like I was advocating a lot at the beginning for multicultural advocacy which was really difficult as a young person but it's definitely a lot easier to advocate for youth things yeah yeah Yeah. you'd hope that if they're they're looking for that you know expert opinion from a young person then they have to value that opinion yeah and, and i guess the only other issue is they only really mm, like they're really hot and cold about actually um genuinely consulting with young people like i notice it depends on the person who is doing the consultation or leading that on how genuine yeah. they will actually absorb the information that the young people are trying to tell them or how good they are at creating those sort of themes or understanding what the young people actually are saying, not just what they want or assume that they're going to say and then run with that. And that's something that I see quite a bit with um, some of the higher, higher level organisations. They'll say, we have a youth campaign coming up. And I was like, oh, so excited. And then I asked them, like, you know, do you have young people involved in any of the processes? Um, and they said they thought about it and then they said, um, well, one of the graphic design artists is like in her late twenties or early thirties or something. And I was like, at the time I was like 26 and I was like, I'm 26 and I wouldn't count myself as a young person. Like even when I was doing right by you, I was an older person. Um, and I had really different views and wants than a 19 year old or a 20 year old. Um, so that was something that did take them aback, but something you'd think is really obvious. So mm. it's hard because then, of course, the young person would have never been let in that room to push for advocacy. But at the same time, I was probably more let in the room because I had certain years on me to let me be in that room by yeah. then. Yeah. yeah. In my experience, I've found this as well, that people, they don't even stop to think like, oh, who we got on our panel or who we got, you know, we faced it with our awards as well. Um, and you just yeah. fall into invite the same people back year and year. The problem with doing that is they get older and older. And so yeah. <laughs> once upon a time we had young people yeah, now. <laughs> no, but we love them. So yeah, but, yeah. Uh, over the last few years, you know, we've made it such a priority to ensure that winners of yeah. the Young Achieve Awards and then uh, funnel through to being on the judging panel themselves. That's um, really important. That's really and that really makes good. a big difference, yeah. So, but uh, I know what you mean. Um, and, you know, I'm reading Will Anderson's book at the moment. Um takes me a while to read a book because... He had this great point about um, just kind of what you touched on, that young people have a lot to say and also the world that we're all going to be living in down the track, you know, we're going to be the uh, the older generation at that point. So we should have more of a say, uh, especially with climate change and things like that. You know, mental health, common misconception I've heard is people say, oh, people have so many more problems these days. 
and I don't know, you would have a much better opinion, but my take on that is, well, we're more comfortable at sharing now. The problems never aren't new. The problems are the same everyone's face, but now we're more comfortable to share. We're more connected than ever before. So we're hearing about it more. That's the only difference. No, 100%, especially when it comes to mental health. This, I hear that a lot. I mean, mainly at more social events or family events um, that you hear like, oh, all of a sudden everyone has a mental health problem. And then I'm like, oh, well, didn't um, <laughs> you, you say just like my favourite thing? I won't even say who it was I because they were like making fun of people for mental health. And I like read out um, the symptoms of PTSD and of ADHD to them and this was at two different times they did edit to them twice um and they're like yeah that's me like yeah like I experienced that like yeah and I was like that's actually ADHD or like that's PTSD you should get help <laughs> but, but then they're like no like and then they'll deny all the symptoms yeah. and everything and they're all of a sudden and I'm like and I was like no we're just now at a generation at a time where we aren't so scared to admit what we might be experiencing and we want to change that for sure definitely well i want you to tell me a little bit about um right by you because i'm not as familiar with it but it's come up it was part of uh it was a big part of your uh nomination and you know i mentioned at the top that the uh episode was sponsored by spirit super but you actually won the spirit super connecting communities awards so what was right by you and um yeah fill us in on that yeah, um, well, yeah, actually, I think it was one of the project committee steering members that nominated me. Bless her oh, lovely. Yeah. yeah, so I actually wasn't even there to be able to accept I it. Know. I was, yeah. was going to ask you about that, too. Well, that's good. Like the one time I have an award, I don't get I'm, like, out of the country the one time. We'll go in reverse uh, order. So, yeah, I noticed that, that you weren't there at the uh, the event. So where, what were you off doing? I was in Europe. <laughs> I can't complain. I was in Switzerland. I was looking out at the view, work up, and then it was like all these messages, and I was like, ah, yay. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, you can't – that's a pretty good excuse. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't – I really couldn't complain. At that point, I was like, oh, I'm just – life was life was the peak. I, I said to my partner, I looked over him, and I was like, this is the peak of my life, <laughs> like looking out in Switzerland and just like winning the award and just like, I was eating something probably normally happiest when I'm eating. Um, but, yeah, no, that was that was a, a – and, uh, yeah, of course, once again, imposter syndrome. Um, but, no, so the Ride By You, Ride By You was actually something that came across in my job. Like I was saying, um, we meet up with a lot of community members, try to find out ways that we can support them to support their own community um, when it comes to increasing their capacity to respond to suicide. And one of the networks that I was on, one of the youth networks, um, it was coming up. And I, this is something that, like, a narrative that you, you hear now and then, but it was one of the schools specifically that had two losses that year. Um, and one of the um, the kids had told um, one of the committee members that, like, I had seen my friend um, post some things um but we we didn't know what to do and then there was another one as well that was in the committee that had said that he had seen a post um but he had the training and so he knew what to say and so he contacted the friend and that is the rarest story that you will hear in this in this space like that you know in that school they did a lot of training um so the um those kids had more confidence in responding so we're saying, how can we make sure that that is something that's more consistent and how can we just stop constantly hearing the story that 
kids just rather not make a mistake and rather do nothing um and then that just be the worst thing that you could possibly do anyways um and so we i did some more consultation with some of the headspace um youth reference groups and asked them what would you want in that point if you saw a post what what information or what would help you in that point to actually mess, message your friend and they kind of um came up with the idea of like not an app because you have to download it and keep it on your phone but just a website that you can just quickly get into that we have a qr sticker like on our phone or on our diary or on our laptop um, and I have mine on my laptop here as well. Oh, and on my phone, which is really inaccessible because I can't scan my own phone, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, shit. Um, and, and just have really key information of what you can say. And they're like, we want it to be used language. And I keep I kept hearing from them as well that a lot of um, things that, so, that are made for young people in mental health or suicide prevention, you can tell are from the service provider lens and written for adults, um, even though it says for youth. And they're like, we can tell that like, well, I'm not gonna let like, you have examples of lines. Like, I'm not gonna say that, or I don't think like that, or I saw the information that um, I want. So put together a project steering committee of 12 um, individuals and with making sure majority were under 25, that they represented a diverse, um, um, group of people from um, culture, sexuality, socioeconomic and lived experience, whether they hadn't experienced themselves or suicidal ideation and being the poster or being the friend who's been in concern. So making sure that we had as many lenses as possible on that. And a lot of them um, also worked in the space as well. Um, so we're really informed and yes, so with them, we put together, even from the name to the colours to the tabs, the links, um, even the Understanding More section, which has um, a range of spe uh, specific experiences to specific groups, whether it's a relationship breakdown or whether you're from a disability or multicultural or um, uh, Aboriginal background. There's um, specific co-design sections as well on what, someone from that background would what you didn't more specifically know about with their experience um so all of that was put together over a year um and then in april of this year we finally launched it nationally and um but we've been just focusing on the promotion in perth metro but we did i did go on hack for a second that was fun yeah, yeah. that's awesome <laughs> it was crazy but um um, yeah, at the moment still we're just focusing with the social media ads um, on Snapchat and where young people actually are yeah. um, and just sharing the promotional toolkit as well. So that's been that and that looks, yeah, really exciting. And, yeah, the person who nominated me was on that committee, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, it sounds like it took quite a long time to, you know, go from getting it going to launching it. But, yeah. you know, they say uh, the good things take time. So, um yeah, congrats on getting that up and running. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was definitely, it was quite the journey, but it was something that we said it has to be done right if we're going to do it. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, no no point in just creating another resource just to put out there. But, yeah, and also it was something that we, we noticed in our own, in my own engagement with schools or communities that it's more of a relief because even though we prefer for everyone to go get training, it's not really that realistic for everyone to go take that time out or find a way or um, book it. So this is not at all a to be used instead. Like people should 
definitely prioritize getting training, but at least we know it's more used as a as a relief that they know they can access this information for the meantime. But, well, yeah. I just I just googled it right by you. <laughs> and I think oh, and you have videos on it as well. We have like eleven young people in the videos of the seven most common questions that I was getting from yeah. the workshops and the schools. Well, it's, it must have good SEO going because uh, it comes up straight away. Super accessible. Yay. So, you know, oh, anyone, listening, <laughs> anyone listening <laughs> to this that uh, that is thinking, oh, I haven't got a QR code, then uh, just just Google it right by you. Oh, thank God. You... Yeah, it was number five like at the beginning because I was thinking right by you, I was worried that the name, it was not too unique and that it'd be hard for yeah. to find. But that's good to hear. It's going up. It's going up. It's going up. So, yeah, that sounds like such a great resource. And, uh, you know, I've, I've experienced that myself where you kind of think, oh, I think this, like my mate's not doing the best. I don't really know how to broach it. Like, you know, I do love Are You Okay Day. Obviously, it's so instrumental. It's amazing marketing that they've got there. But, you know, in my personal experience, sometimes like, hey, are you, you okay? It's too easy to deflect. But, um, yeah. So sometimes having that yeah, extra... Yeah, the number one myth that we even try to always share with Right By You is that by asking someone um, directly if they are having thoughts of ending their life or um, or of suicide, that, that will never put the idea in someone's head. That will never make someone think, actually, that's a great idea. That will only ever give them a chance to finally be honest and say it because it's so much harder to bring it up to other people Um than if someone just asks directly. So that is just the number one yeah, thing. I think it's always hard. People get really nervous around the idea of suicide that mm. they're going to get that idea. But um, the, the best thing you can do is find out directly and then from there discuss with them how you can help them. Or as well, there's a tab on the website as well, which is – so there is, I think, two newspaper articles about this as well. So one of them I shared my experience, and that was when my friend was in emergency – I don't know if I should go more into this. So they had sent me a thank you message for everything. Um, and for me, that was a massive red flag because I knew they had just gone through a very distressing experience and I was already worried about them. I tried to call them, no answering. So I straight away, and these steps as well are on the emergency page on what to do. Luckily, I work in the area and knew what to do. I called emergency, did a welfare check, told them to go and check sign. I wasn't going to get there in time as well. And, and no one should as well go there that worried that it might be that. And an emergency went there and they managed to stop her as well and then um, take her to ED and she was able to get reconnected to supports after that as well. So it's just making sure that the person is safe at that moment, that you're worried is the most important thing and making sure that they see hope on how they can actually go through a recovery. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, uh, yeah, absolutely incredible. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, even if they haven't gone through that process, something to, to think about and to have that knowledge of, uh, of how to respond. And yeah. not about you, but in a stressful situation, I'm like, oh, what do I do? And that's most people. (laughs) And I mean, there were two other friends that also got the message as well. And they were like, uh, one was like, oh, and and that's a normal reaction. That's a really normal reaction. And and, and the worrying thing as well, I think when there is a loss is that there's always people, you know, always looking back like, oh, what could I have done? Um, what, what did I miss? But it's not, it's, it's so difficult. It does, it's, the signs are so different for everyone. Mm. Um, 
and especially to the untrained eye and you know normal humans are not going to be well trained on understanding the complex understandings of um, suicidal ideation um, but yeah just not blaming yourself because you no one no one would really know what they look like but just when you're in the situation and you are worried of course it's very stressful you feel like there is a life on your line um in your hand but um yeah it's just caring in that point and just focusing on their safety in that point yeah very scary for sure though i haven't heard that term um suicidal ideation yeah. is that when someone is contemplating and they're thinking about um yeah suicide yeah so that's a it's a good uh, a term that definitely we use when someone is having thoughts of suicide and the thing is that sometimes it's understood that some people might have um suicidal ideation but they're not at risk um so that is also another really confusing um understanding of the whole complex world of um suicide prevention um but yeah ideation is just having the the thoughts Around. Yeah, well, I'm familiar with the you know the term ideation, but um, I just hadn't heard it in that way. So that's uh, yeah. yeah. So Nika, with all this stuff that you're doing, um, you know, with your paid employee employment and and you know, putting these resources out there, I don't want to sound too frivolous, but what do you do for fun to keep yourself, you know, motivated to keep yourself fresh and and uh, and going, you know, when you, when you work in such an intense field. Um. What do I do for fun? I do love cooking. I really do. <laughs> I just love eating and I love cooking. And the best thing about cooking is that you get to eat at the end. I always say that. <laughs> um, but other than that, what else do I love to do? Oh, my God. I'm one of those people that just goes and eats. I guess I, I haven't done this for a while, but I used to kayak a lot and I used to do um, a bit of sailing. And I definitely think the most important thing, which I haven't done for a bit, but I need to get back into, is a good bushwalk. That is like the most grounding thing of all time. And even just any form of exercise, I do try my best um, instead of just going out for a coffee or a drink with a friend to just go for a walk. And then it's just, it's so much better. You get to just check on them, check in on them. They check in on you. You have a bit of finding out what's happening in each other's lives, some good discussions and then exercise at the same time. So I love a walk, a walk, there you go, to walk off all my food. <laughs> It was hand in hand. You love the cooking, the eating, and then the walking afterwards. Now so. I have to walk, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for my mental health. There's like that meme that it was like having to walk for my mental health. You're just embodying it. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, last question before I uh, let you go and uh, get back to your day is, you know, I think that you are an incredibly inspiring person with all the work that you've done and uh, everything you've achieved, even though you're just a smart baby apparently. Uh, but um can you tell us what is it that inspires you the you know how i was saying before about the ripple effect so it's all the ripple effects that help my mom and now my mom helps other people in their ripple effects i think every day when i when i do my work i meet these amazing community leaders who are just going above and beyond to do and support um everything for their own communities and even bless alia who nominated me she does like volunteering like hours and hours every week and just cares so deeply about other people and making sure that you know they're even to make sure that i w was recognized that was way too sweet of her when she's doing all this advocacy um for disability and multiculturalism herself and it's just people like her and people like um 
the the woman I said at Como that applied for me to get that scholarship. It's just recognizing that people like that just they do exist. Really good people do exist doing really good things. You just hear more about the negative things so much more often. And it's about being that person like as well for the community. So as much as possible, making sure that I'm also giving it forward and making sure every little individual that if I come across, if I see that I could technically maybe be that person that supports them in that time um, to be that person and just kind of seeing your own role as other people have played a role in your life on kind of making life as good as possible for each other. That went really um, <laughs> much more, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but anyways. <laughs> No, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Okay. Good to summarise. It's the yeah, it's the pe- the people. You know, you're yeah. inspired by people, and seems like you really um, are sparked by those who are, as you said, paying it forward and creating that ripple effect. I think that was really, really eloquent the way because you described that earlier, and then to bring it back at the end was a pretty yeah. slick move by you. So well done. Uh, maybe I should do podcasting. Uh, <laughs> and uh, was it um, Alia who represented you at the awards night as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that was so Alia. funny. I was seeing a photo was um in the thing, and it was like Nika's out, and I was like, oh, Alia, <laughs> poor thing. She had to read out um yeah the speech and everything. It just yeah, she blessed herself. by Hopefully, she out. enjoyed it representing. <laughs> so, Nika, if people wanted to find out a bit more about you and your work, or you know, connect professionally. Um, what's the best way they can do that? I would definitely say to add me on LinkedIn. So under just Nika Zan, even if you don't have LinkedIn, I always say to every young person in the space, make sure you just get it. Even if you have no connections yet, just, just start building it. I know I had it while I was in uni. I would just start adding people. And then over time, it's really, really helpful to be on, um, especially if you want to connect in this space. LinkedIn to me is like a better version yeah. of Facebook. Yeah. It's essentially the exact same format as Facebook, but instead of like your auntie and uncle and your mum and dad on there, it's like professional people. Professional employers and people that you can connect with and collaborate with and you don't, and you can see their exact role and what they do good and projects that they've done. It's the best, honestly, um, LinkedIn. Um, but the other thing, of course, that I wanted to say was that if, of course, you can't ever assume um anyone's experience and what might um, trigger someone. So if anyone is feeling uncomfortable or if anything has been come up um, during this conversation, uh, if you are under 25, Kids Helpline has an excellent free counselling service. So you can call them, Kids Helpline, if you look them up and you can get free counselling with the same counsellor as many times as possible. That's free as well as eHeadspace. But if you are older, just just 16 plus, um, suicide call back. They as well also have professional um, counsellors um, and psychologists that can help. And, yeah, Lifeline is always promoted, but Lifeline is more of a compa- compassionate care response that's normally volunteer run, which is great to call if you just need that um, instant sort of crisis compassionate support. But if you want free counselling, you can access Kids Helpline, eHeadspace or Suicide Callback. Um, service um, or of course yeah go to your GP and ask for a mental health plan as well um, but yeah definitely look after yourself because like I said before um, you can't help others if you're not in your the best mental state yourself yeah well fantastic really- thank you for that Nika great message um, and 
you know, I, I think that people listening to this will uh, will take a lot out of it because it's something that impacts us all, um, even, even if it's not as far as advanced as uh, suicidal ideation, same learning, then uh, it's important to have some of this in our toolkit. So, yeah, thank you, Nika. Enjoy the rest yeah. of your day. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Inspiration Australians podcast. Thank you. It was fun. The Inspirational Australians podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia. We recognise, celebrate and share the stories of inspirational Australians through our awards programs across the country. To find out more, to nominate an inspirational Australian in your life or to partner with our awards, visit awardsaustralia.com. If you enjoyed today's story, we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and review to make sure you don't miss an episode and to help our guests reach more people with their inspirational stories.